We are continuing in our Gospel of John series. If you remember before um, we were gone for last week, we kind of did a three-part series about kind of the shepherd-sheep language that Jesus was using. We'll actually catch some more of that here um, partway through the passage, but it's not necessarily the whole theme of this passage, so I didn't include it in that three-part series, but you'll hear bits and pieces of it as we go through it today. But um, we are continuing in John chapter 10, we will be in. So let's pray together as we open up God's Word. Father, we, we are thankful for the blood of Jesus, that as He hung on the cross for us, that He is powerfully paying for our sins so that we can have them forgiven and so that we can live in a new way, live a life that pleases you, that lives according to how you created us to live in this world rather than how our hearts often desire to go our own way. Father, as we study your word this morning, we ask that you would, by your spirit, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that Jesus is saying, what it is that you want us to understand from this passage that we can walk away with and and contemplate and apply to our lives every day. May this not just be an intellectual exercise for us. May it actually resound in our souls. Help us to increase in our joy, in our comfort. May we grow more deeply to love you, to love Jesus. As we hear your word this morning. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever seen the movie Mall Cop, Paul Blart is the last guy you want guarding anything valuable that you have. He gets fatigued easily. He's tremendously accident-prone. And quite frankly, he lacks any intimidating qualities you would want to have in a security guard. And what makes the movie so ironic is that by the end of the movie, Paul Blart does end up saving the mall and defeating the multiple thieves that he comes in contact with that you thought he would have never stood a chance against. In this morning's passage, the idea of security is explained by Jesus. You see, for us, we can be tempted to seek security in a variety of different places, But we know that earthly things only give us earthly security, which really is no security at all. What Jesus offers is security, and in this passage, security specific for eternal life. To know that you have received new life right now in the present, and that that new life will go on for all eternity. We see that Jesus tells us here that there's only one place to find 
security for eternal life. And that's to be held in his hand. So let's read our passage for today. John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. John 10, starting verse 22, it should be up there for you. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand." My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So John fast-forwards us here to a new situation. It's the Feast of Dedication. It's about two months after the last festival where we saw Jesus having interaction with the Jewish people. And the Jews have basically had enough of what they consider to be a guessing game here with Jesus. Right? They're completely uncertain about his identity. And because of that uncertainty, we see also here in this passage, they lack security. So that brings to your first point in your bulletin and up there. The security of Jesus' hand is absent for those who don't belong to him. Now this might seem like an obvious statement, but let's look at how it plays out in this conversation. Notice how the Jews approach Jesus in verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? tell us plainly. They think Jesus is keeping them in some sort of suspense. They seem to have some sort of anxiety, insecurity about the situation with Jesus. Now the question is, do the Jews really want Jesus to make a plain statement about himself being the Messiah so that they can follow him? Probably not. Because we've seen so far in John that Jesus has made some pretty bold statements, particularly about his relationship to his father. And what has it stirred in the Jews? Nothing but a desire to kill him, really. So while they're coming to him saying, tell us plainly if you are or not, it's likely not that they're saying, if you tell us yes, we're going to follow you. It's more so, as soon as you tell us yes, that gives us the evidence we need to go ahead and kill you. They want to validate their unbelief so they can finally just go ahead and eliminate Jesus. But nevertheless, it's true here that they are living with uncertainty, living with a lack of security about Jesus. I want you to consider how they approach Jesus here in verse 24. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Compare that to some of Jesus' disciples' words 
back in John chapter 6 that we saw, verse 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. One has security, and the other one has nothing but frustration and angst about Jesus. But then Jesus goes on to describe to them why they have this lack of certainty or this lack of security. First, though, in verse 25, he explains the clarity with which he has displayed himself. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So he gives them two things here, right? He says, I have told you and I have shown you by the works that I've done in my Father's name. And we've seen this so far in John's gospel, right? Jesus has said he is the one who gives eternal life. He is the one who said anybody who comes to me will never hunger, never thirst again. He said whoever comes to me and is thirsty will find rivers of living water in their hearts. He said those things, and what else have we seen him do, right? He turned water into wine. We saw him heal an official son from a distance, right, where he didn't even see him. He healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. He, he healed a man who had been born blind. What else do they need? Why has all of this that he has said and done not been enough for them? Jesus reveals why in verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. They don't believe what he has said and what he has done because they don't belong to him. Who they have chosen to identify themselves with and who they follow displays who they really believe is the one telling the truth. And it isn't Jesus for these Jewish people. They don't belong to him. It doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter what he does. If they aren't his sheep, they're not going to follow him, which means they're not going to have the security that comes with being in the hand of Jesus. There's a perfect example of this going on in our world right now in professional sports. If you pay attention to it, even if you don't pay attention to it, you probably are seeing posts on it if you're on any sort of social media, but I don't even follow the NBA, but I've seen posts from the NBA free agency popping up all over my news feed on things. But in the NBA right now, there's this time of free agency going on. And there's all these questions of who's going to sign with which team. And what we've seen progress over the years in the NBA is that Many players have lost their sense of belonging with a particular team, which has led to an uncertainty and insecurity about how long they're really going to stay with that team. We've seen LeBron James, the star of the NBA world, change teams multiple times in his career. And now more and more players are constantly changing teams to either join and partner with LeBron or join and partner with other superstars in order that they might just for one season get enough of the right people together to win a championship. 
But guess what? Even if they win one, it's pretty normal now for that championship team to break apart and go other places for more money now to lead another team at an attempt for a championship. There's no sense of belonging. We're just chasing where the money goes or chasing where we might have a hope and then we're going to go somewhere else. When there's no sense of belonging, there's no sense of security. And it's the same thing with Jesus. Those who don't belong to him certainly aren't going to have any security in him. Which brings the question to you this morning. Where in life do you find yourself searching for a sense of belonging? The answer to that question reveals your true beliefs on where you think you can find security. Maybe you find yourself feeling most safe and secure among other people who have a similar job to you. And there you find your sense of belonging. Or it might be within your biological family or within a group of friends that meet together for a specific purpose. But I hope you're connecting the dots here of what Jesus is saying. The Jewish people, their lack of security with him stems from the fact that they don't have a belonging to him. How safe and secure do you feel belonging to other members of Jesus' flock in comparison to the other groups of people in your life? Why wouldn't you want to find your security in being part of the group, the flock that follows Jesus together over any of these other groups that are just chasing earthly securities? And as we move into these next verses, we see that those who do belong to Jesus, those who do consider his voice to be the only one to be followed, end up being the ones who have the security. It's your second point there on your handout. The security of Jesus' hand is never lost for those who are held by him. We have already heard some of these elements earlier in chapter 10, but let's focus in on them again here. First, notice in verse 27 how Jesus describes his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Two things here that the sheep do. One, Jesus does. He says he knows his sheep, but there's two things the sheep do. They hear the voice of Jesus, and they follow his voice. That's totally contrary to anything the Jewish people are doing right now. They're proving by the questions that they're asking and their actions that they don't hear Jesus, and they're certainly not following him. Jesus has told them who he is. He showed them who he is, but they don't hear it, proving that they just don't belong to him. And the same thing goes for our world, our present day. If you belonging to Jesus doesn't consume your life, but instead you find yourself hearing, listening to other people, and following other opinions and other hopes for security, you probably don't belong to Jesus. True sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and follow the voice of the shepherd. There's no such thing as being a sheep on Sundays. And you can't be a sheep of Jesus and place your hope in the securities of anything here in this 
world. You can't find your sense of belonging in anything apart from being the flock of Jesus. After all, Jesus is the shepherd we found out in past weeks. He's the shepherd who gives his very life for his sheep. And it's not just so that you can have life now in this present world. It's so you can have eternal life. Nobody else, nothing else in this world offers eternal life. Nothing promises that. So what else would we do? For those who are truly sheep of Jesus, what else would we do but commit ourselves to completely follow this sacrificial shepherd? But if you notice, as the verses continue, the focus is not just on the sheep and what they're supposed to do. The focus is rather on Jesus. Right? We saw a sum in verse 27. We see Jesus knows his sheep, but that's not all we're told. Verse 28, we see even more of what Jesus does. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 28 offers the greatest assurance any of us could ever imagine. For those who are Jesus' sheep, he gives eternal life. They will never perish. Nobody will ever snatch them from his hand. Now, this is a verse that likes to be debated among people. Because when you read this verse, one of the debated topics that comes up is the once saved, always saved discussion, right? If you never perish, if you are never snatched out of Jesus' hand, then it sounds like it's saying once you're in the flock, you can never lose being a part of the flock. And to be straightforward with you, I do think that's part of what the text is saying, but I think we often miss it here. Because I know the objection that people who don't agree with that point of view have. And the objection is, if that's true, people can get saved and then live however they want, can't they? Right? I mean, that's the objection to it is, oh, so you're saying people can get saved and then they can go on and just sin the rest of their lives and they'll still have their card to get into heaven. But that totally neglects exactly what we just read in the previous verse. True sheep continue to listen and follow the shepherd. It doesn't negate the fact that sheep continue to be faithful. The point is, who is the one that's holding on to who in the situation? Right? They're ignoring that past verse. But this verse is not, this verse of eternal security is not a license for sheep to abandon their shepherd. Instead, it's the reassurance that the shepherd never loses what belongs to him. Because here's the truth. If left to us, if left in our hands as the sheep, every single one of us would abandon Jesus. Remember that great line in the hymn, Come Thou Fount. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I don't know about you, but my heart breaks every time I sing that line of that hymn because it's true. 
Because I know left on my own, my faith shatters. I need Jesus to hold on to me in order for me to make it securely to the end. And if that's true, that the point of this verse, the point of that hymn even, is that Jesus is the one holding us and making sure that we don't perish, then that leaves only two options for how people perish in our world. Option number one, they don't belong to Jesus. Option number two, Jesus loses his grip. Those are the only two ways. If if it's all dependent on Jesus, right, to hold on to people to the end, there's only two ways that people then end up perishing. Is that they don't ever belong to Jesus, or Jesus loses his grip. And church, the beauty of the passage and the verse we just read is that the second one never happens. Jesus never loosens his grip. To those that belong to him, he is going to hold on to and not let anyone take them from him. The ones whom he gives eternal life will never perish. They will never be snatched from his hand. Leaving the only way to not have eternal life is to not belong to Jesus. Which is exactly what we see these Jews doing here. Let me give you an illustration from our recent vacation. We went to the beach, right, where the waves crash in on the shore. Now, Albert loves these waves, right? Like, Albert loves the water. That, if you ask him if, he's, if he remembers everything that happened on vacation, we asked him time and time again, what was your favorite thing? And he keeps saying, water, water, right? We got to swim in pools. We went to the beach twice. I mean, so he just keeps saying, water. We even went to dinosaur world, people, and he's still saying water, right? So he just loved it. But Albert was never allowed to go out in the water alone. Why? The very first wave would knock him over in an instant. So he had to hold on to my hand. Every time he went into the waves, into the water, he had to hold on to my hand. Now let me ask you, Where did Albert's security lie as he walked in those waves? Did his security lie in his ability to hold on to my hand or in my ability to hold on to his hand? If it rested on him, it's over with the first wave. If my grip is loose and he's just holding on to my hand, he's done for. Any sort of momentum is going to push him over. But if it's resting on me, I'm not letting go unless I'm dead. That's the point of Jesus here. While the sheep hold on to Jesus, their security is never lost because Jesus is holding on to them. That's the only way to have true hope in the Christian life. If you think your eternity is based on how well you perform in this life, the game's already over, folks. You've already lost big time, and you have no chance of making up for it. You'll always be questioning, did you do enough? Did I go to church enough? Was I kind enough? Do I pray enough? But when your eternity rests in Jesus holding you to the end, not only does it give you hope, but it makes you hold on even tighter. 
I've been on both sides of this in my life. I've been in churches that talk about how Jesus is the one holding on to us, and I've been in churches where it talks about, nope, it's all based on you. It's all based on how tight you can hold on. And from my experience in these various churches, I can tell you the Christians who know Jesus better, who love Jesus more deeply, and who walk with him more closely are those who are convinced that their only hope to endure to the end is Jesus holding on to them, not them holding on to him. Because what those people have realized is there is no greater hand that could be holding them. No thing or person in this world, including our own abilities, could ever be compared to Jesus holding on to us. Which is your last point there. The security of Jesus' hand is greater than all other hands. That's the final point that Jesus makes in this passage. He doesn't give this security of being held in his hand and then say, but let me go back to everything you're supposed to do to hold on tightly. Instead, he expands on it and explains why his hand is better than any other hand that could be holding you. Look at verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He now begins to talk about the Father again. First he says the Father has given him all these sheep. We saw this before, John chapter 6. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Right? So the Father gives these sheep to Jesus. All that he gives come to Jesus, but then now back to verse 29, this Father who gives all these sheep to Jesus is greater than all. Now, uh, taking this apart from Jesus, the Jews would agree with this statement. If they're considering the Father as God, right, as their Yahweh, they would say, certainly God is greater than all. Right? They, They would line up with what Jesus is saying here in some sense, and we would grasp that. Right? That the Father is the one who takes care of them. And the Father is the one that the Jewish people claim to belong to. Right? But then Jesus goes on to say what? No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Which again, the Jewish people would give a hearty amen to that. Right? No one can take us from God's hand. We are God's chosen people. You're right, Jesus. Except that would be ignoring everything Jesus just said about his own hand. And yes, of course, we would agree, right? Nobody can take us from the hand of God. But if they didn't catch what Jesus said previously about his own hand, he makes it quite explicit in verse 30. I and the Father are one. Essentially, to be in the Father's hand is to be in Jesus' hand. The security of having the creator of the universe hold on to you is the same security of having the Son of God hold on to you. While this is jaw-dropping news for the Jewish people, this is what should get a hearty amen from us. It's not 
just that verse 29 is great, to be held in God's hand is the greatest, greatest hand of all, but verse 28 to us is just as wonderful. That to be held by the hand of Jesus is the greatest hand to be held by. You see, because it's not just enough to realize that we could never hold on tight enough ourselves. It matters just as much who is it that we have holding on to us. Think about it if you ever fell off a cliff, right? Like one of those suspenseful movies, right? You're just hanging on there by your fingertips and you're looking over the edge, right? You realize in that moment you're probably not going to be able to pull yourself back up. But what matters just as much as realizing that is, who do you want to be the one that's going to hold on to you? That question matters just as much. Who is it that you trust knowing you can't do it yourself? Consider that question, not just for your financial security, not for your emotional security, not for your job security, but consider it for the most important security you'll ever have, your eternal security you must first realize you can never hold on to it on your own. But just as important is the question of who is holding on to you for all eternity. Having Jesus hold on to you is the greatest hand you could ever have holding on to you because it's the hand of God holding on to you. And no one, no thing, not even the devil himself, can snatch you from that hand. That's the best security you could ever ask for when it comes for your eternity. So brothers and sisters, the question for you this morning is, who are you being held by? Who you listen to and who you follow are indicators of who you trust to give you security. You may feel secure by love from a spouse or a family member, by assurance that your home or your bank account gives you, or by affirmation you get from a boss or friends or coworkers. But at the end of your life, what security do any of those things really give you? Look at the insecurity of this crowd. When Jesus mentions these ideas of security, what do they do in verse 31? The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. That's the result for those who trust in false securities. You may have had a lovely marriage. You may have spent your entire life never coming close to poverty. You may have always had a job to go to. Yet when eternity is just seconds away, what do any of those things really promise you? While those attempts at security may seem to be enough for you right now, being held by the hand of Jesus is the only way to have security for all of your eternity. You have to consider all these earthly things as worthless when compared to knowing Jesus. Turn away from the voices that are trying to snatch you away and follow the one whose hand is greater than any other hand. Realize it's not based on your ability to hold on to his hand, but also realize that you actually begin to hold on tighter the more you understand he's the one holding on to you. Have you entrusted yourself into the hand which you will never be snatched out of?
Are you being held by the hand of Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, we know the world around us offers all types of security. Help us to realize that one day, sooner or later, all of us are going to be just mere seconds away from eternity. And help us to remember today that it's security for our eternity that really matters. That all of these earthly securities will one day fade away. But we know in your hand, in the hand of Jesus, No one can snatch us away. Even though our own hearts are prone to wander away. Even our own inability isn't enough. You hold on to us. Jesus holds on to us. Help us to hold on all the more tightly to love Jesus all the more deeply, to walk with him all the more closely, because we know, for those of us who belong to him, we will always be in his hand. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As they come up for the last song,